When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the third episode of the UConn Football Podcast. We made it to three guys. I'm joined by Luke Swanson and Tucker Warner. Today, we're going to talk about roster changes afoot with UConn football, obviously something that uh, we can expect to happen when there's a coaching transition, and with the transfer portal, something we can just expect to happen on the regular. Um Hopefully after this episode, you have a better idea of what to expect in terms of some of the new names and faces on the roster and some of the guys who will not be there. Um, Before we dive into that discussion, though, we should just talk a little bit about what the roster did look like at the end of last season. When we last met our heroes, the Huskies were wrapping up a 1-11 season with a loss to Houston. Um fair to say that spirits were not high, uh, but uh, at any rate, Jim Mora had already taken over uh, or had already been announced as the head coach. Um, During this off season though, we did see a number of players depart um, for the normal reasons, uh, transferring, uh, graduation, some even matriculated to the NFL and, and other pro ranks. Um, but the list of outbound transfers is, is pretty solid. It's, um, you know, it's like, uh, 10 or 11 strong. And then a number of, of seniors too, key seniors departing. Um, but I think again, before we get into that, let's talk about where the 2021 roster was Tucker. What were some of the characteristics that stood out to you as it relates to UConn football's roster? at the end of the 2021 season? You know, it's really the same as it was the entire run of Edsel 2.0. It was very, very shallow, often depleted, not much experience. And that was because uh, even before the institution of the transfer portal, we were losing 20 to 25 guys every off season who were supposed to be the ones who were, you know, stepping up, gaining another year of experience and maybe stepping into starting roles as a result. So the last five years, uh, it's been a very shallow team. Uh, there hasn't been much in the way of depth. Uh, there hasn't been much in the way of experience and one injury to any starter absolutely decimated the entire starting unit as a result of not having those replacements. So suffice to say, uh, last year at the end of the season was not much different than it had been at any other point uh, during Edsel's second run here. Uh, obviously, we still had some very talented players, um, some really experienced seniors who knew what they were doing, but it still wasn't enough to do any better than one at 11. And, you know, the hope is that with fewer outbound transfers this year, even with the transfer, uh, we're finally going to see some of that start turning around, get more experience, get more depth, and hopefully win more than one game. Speaking of outbound transfers, would any of you like to guess the leading rusher uh, in that final game of the season against Houston? Uh, we were talking about a little bit uh, before the air, before we uh, got on air, but sorry. 
Speaking um, of outbound transfers, sounds fun. I was going to say Bruton, but uh, I guess that's not it. Was it Krajewski? It was Krajewski. Yes! Excellent. Krajewski. <laughs> there were uh, the outbound transfers, kind of a red herring. There could have been a couple options, <laughs> but the guy could scoot. The guy come on stepped up. He 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 could he could do something. All right, he could scoot a little. He could scoot a little. If we're just talking about. Um, other departures that you know uh, are a little bit more significant as it relates to maybe the quality of the team next year. So Travis Jones was drafted. Omar Fort is now in the Canadian Football League, and uh, Ryan Vandemark is uh, in rookie camp with an NFL team, hoping to catch on. So that's uh, offensive line. Vandemark was a uh, was a real hallmark on the offensive line. One of the most dependable uh, people on a less than dependable unit, uh, something that's still going to be a question mark for UConn going forward. We'll more on that later. Um, on defense, obviously, Travis Jones, you lose someone who commanded a lot of attention from opposing offensive lines. Um, and Omar Ford was a very versatile backfield defender, um, someone who could play, who could do safety stuff. He could do um, corner stuff and some linebacker stuff too. Um, so those are, those are pretty big in terms of departures for UConn. Uh, those are the ones we expected. Also, Jay Rose, who was the team's second leading receiver uh, out of the tight end slot and a very big recruit uh, for those with the institutional memory of remembering how, how great we felt the moment Bob Diaco landed Jay Rose on the recruiting trail. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, then I think, Looking at the transfers, a, a number of names that that played a lot for UConn are are on their way out. I mean, um, I'll, I'll talk about one more before before turning it over to see what stands out to you, Tucker. But Lawal Ugwak, uh, another disruptive defensive lineman, um, and he made his way over to TCU. So again, good for him. UConn does bring talent onto its roster. Can it hold on to it? We shall see. Tucker, any other of the of the outgoing transfers that that um, felt like a decent hit to you? You know, in a sense, not individually. Um, and I definitely see that with uh, Luol Yuguak, who I, I thought was the type of guy that we had been losing this previous uh, these previous few off seasons. Uh, that's the guy who would have, you know, had experience, um, you know, definitely been a starter. And that's the type of player who had just consistently been transferring. Uh, looking at the secondary, though, uh, there's a few different guys who uh, left the program early this year. Uh, Jeremy Lucien, Jalen Farrell, Diamond Harrell. Um, all of those guys were individually not, you know, super standouts. There's not exactly, um, you know, like a, a Byron type or an Obi Melifonwu type. Uh, these are just, you know, guys who can play and they're going to be a year older than most of the people who are replacing them this season on the depth chart. But secondary is really a unit of uh, interest, I'll say. It uh, looks like we need a little bit of fortitude there. Uh, we don't really have too many, uh the word I'm looking for here? We, we don't have too much in the way of backup, basically. Uh, there's not a whole lot of experience. We do have some guys who are uh, seniors among the cornerbacks. Uh, the safeties are going to be a very, very young unit this year, uh, unless uh, Mora uh, switches around some of these positions. 
But this is an issue. Uh, this is a unit that really stands out to me right now, kind of negatively. There's so many question marks. Uh, hopefully, one or two of these guys will be able to um, bounce back. I think that Miles Bell, in particular, is one guy who I really liked before he went down with, I believe, an Achilles injury last season. And if he can bounce back, that's obviously going to be a big plus. But depending on like losing all of these guys, it just takes options off the table. You have to go further and further down. Uh, the list to, uh, you know, fill in, you know, your first backup, your second backup. And, you know, they they haven't really filled in the roster with transfers uh, at the secondary positions as they have at other units. And we might have a problem on our hands. Going back to uh, Amon, what you said about with the defensive line on uh, Walt Lugwak and Travis Jones, and uh, otherwise, Tucker, I totally agree with what you're saying. In the secondary, we def- we don't want a repeat of 2018, which was <laughs> potentially, and, and, and in a sense, it's kind of ironic that I'm mentioning 2018 because a lot of these guys that are transferring out this year were on the team then, I believe. I, correct me if I'm wrong. No, uh, I mean, I, I know that Jeremy Lucien at the very least was on the team at that point. So I, I believe that uh, a lot of the guys who are leaving, that was either their true freshman year or when they were being actively recruited, which uh, I don't know why you would have signed up for UConn after seeing 2018. <laughs> it may be playing time, I guess. They could guarantee some of that. Tough times. Tough times to be part of the squad. But in, in regards to that a defensive line, like I was mentioning, Udwak and Travis Jones, that's a huge, huge amount of uh, uh, UConn's run product or run defense. And honestly, pass rushing last year was uh, what well, was those two guys like Jones? It wasn't not it was nominally not really a pass rusher, but he was just he had the talent just to disrupt the offensive line and get in the backfield so often that he became a pass rusher. And then Udwak was sort of. Uh, I don't want to say a hybrid tackle end, but he definitely was kind of more of a skilled uh, skill uh, pass rusher than uh, anything else, even from the interior of the line. So that right there, I talk about uh, losing bodies at the uh, defensive back position. That's another uh, huge area where uh, UConn will definitely have to look to, uh, to remaining talent. And uh, as we'll get into incoming talent to replace another area, I kind of wanted to mention just as a, as a side, uh, receivers Her- uh, Cam Hairston and Heron Morriso were both sort of part of those, I guess, bright spots of those 2018-2019 uh, teams under Edsel. They were two uh, two real athletic guys. To uh, just they didn't really show the numbers to think of them as uh, future number one receivers, but they definitely had flashes of uh, athletic plays. And uh, honestly, his people were looking for something to latch, latch on to in 2018 and 19. And uh, both of them did come up with pretty big plays, if I remember correctly, uh, UConn's wins and yeah, Mar- performances. So yeah, it's Mar- had a long touchdown. Yeah. And uh, he was a, you know, he was a big in-state recruit. Good, good mm-hmm. pickup for UConn on the trail. Um, I think, you know, the receivers is, is um, they, they have a lot of people though, um, which, mm-hmm. which oh, yeah. I think, um, is, is a benefit. I totally agree that those two guys, are we're def are definitely and we're definitely promising members of the roster, um, uh, but I think the defense really is a concern here. Uh, you guys you guys mentioned the the DBs and what's missing when you lose Jones and Ugwak. Um, 
you know, linebacker also is losing uh, Omar Fort and uh, DJ Morgan. Um, so I, th- I think the defense as a whole is going to be a spot to be worried about. And, um, and then as we get into thinking about some of the arrivals, um, uh, looked like there were a good number of offensive line and, and wide receiver additions, um, some defensive back additions, but like Tucker said, doesn't look like enough to bolster the depth that was lost. So I think that's going to be a really tough unit that's that's going to again take its lumps until UConn can find some some stability there. Um, you know the the thing that does give us hope uh, in terms of the roster and its future is that Jim Mora has adopted a different strategy from his predecessor as it relates to roster management and specifically the transfer portal. Randy Edsel was on the record as saying that he was not that interested in players who were interested in transferring. Um, Explains why so many of them left. (laughs) um, Which was very much not in line with something that a University of Connecticut football program needed to be doing in that day and time as a outgoing member of the American Athletic Conference and future independent program. Um, And uh, just also because of the the way that so many people clearly did not want to play for him, uh, that also affected affected the roster significantly. And and that's going to be a problem across the roster really is the shallowness that, that you mentioned earlier, Tucker is um, that that's, that's going to remain an issue of probably for another couple of years um, unless, unless handled well. Um, I do think the list of incoming transfers is a really good start as it relates to um, getting some more sophomores and juniors onto the roster or, you know, people who are three years out of high school, whatever class you want to give them is, in the eye of the beholder, but, um, uh, and then, you know, some, some pretty key upgrades as well to start the big prize uh, for UConn, someone I probably assumed UConn would absolutely not get was quarterback to Quan Robertson from Roberson from Penn state. Uh, he was a former four-star recruit. Um, sure. He did not play at Penn state, but the bar to get to start under center at Penn State is uh, a lot, lot higher than than we needed to be uh, here at Little Old Yukon. So um, that's a really, really promising addition. And I think to ruminate on that, on you, to ask you guys your thoughts on just Roberson and what he brings to the roster, obviously QB is so important, but it's it's big in a lot of ways. I'm of two minds on, on Roberson. Obviously, I think that UConn as a program, uh, we're at a level where basically a lot of players who have gotten in a game for uh, Power 5, especially uh, upper level of the Power 5, Penn State, for example, uh, would be an upgrade over anything we have here. But Robertson, he was brought in. He was a four-star recruit and couldn't and wasn't able to really get a handle on the starting job over Sean Clifford and Sean Clifford, not a very good quarterback. Dan Franklin hasn't had a super long history of sending great quarterbacks to the NFL. And so I'm kind of of two minds there. Like on one hand, 
especially especially when he, he appeared in a game for uh, the Nittany Lions, he didn't really impress too much either, but very small sample size. So I think that just the fact that he's the, the talent level is clearly pretty high with being a four-star recruit going to Penn State, coming to UConn, uh, step up above what we've seen in the past. But also, uh, it's I'm hesitant to call him, uh, for example, a guy that UConn's going to send to the NFL because un- unless he has something that uh, Moore's and uh, Nick Charlton are able to unlock, uh, it- it's it- it's I think he's it's a high, definitely a high floor, sort of comparatively low ceiling compared to uh, compared to some of the other quarterbacks throughout college football, and uh, that's that's sort of how he fits in to the mold, I'd say. Yeah, I think that he's in kind of an interesting spot, uh, too, because I don't think we've had a quarterback of that raw talent um, really ever at UConn. Um, And I think that that means that there's a lot of different places that his career can go right now. Um, You know, I I do see him as someone who stays here for a few years, um, and hopefully he'll be starting as a senior because that means that uh, his run here has been successful. Um, but at the same time, I think that this isn't going to be necessarily the thing that changes, uh, the fortunes of the UConn offense overnight. Now, one thing that you're going to be able to see with Roberson is that the guy is going to be able to run, uh, as long as the offensive line can block for him, his running will be very, very effective. Um, obviously that's kind of a big, if we have seen what the UConn offensive line has done in front of talented, uh, rushers and running backs, uh, in previous years. But nonetheless, you get this guy in open space, he's going to be able to make a big play. Uh, he'll be somewhat similar to David Pindell in that regard, uh, but he's going to have a bigger arm than Pindell ever did. And that might open up more opportunities down the field uh, for the receivers as well. So I'm looking forward to this. I think that he's going to give um, the UConn offense a lot of options. Um I think that also having, you know, healthy backups at quarterback, not to harp on the depth uh, issue too much, but I, I think that having like a couple backups who are actually capable of playing uh, at the FBS level is going to help here also. Uh, but nonetheless, I think that like Roberson at the very least represents somewhat of uh, a change in the tide. It's not happening yet, but it's just starting to like crack the door open and hopefully, you know, we'll start to get more and more of these quality of transfer recruits. Uh, we definitely have the capability to, uh, you know, bring in guys like this who were formerly high recruits but haven't gotten the chance to play or don't see playing time after their first year or two, uh, and just turn them into quality players. That I think is ultimately what the Mora strategy is. Um, and certainly, there's a big change from Edsel in that Mora is recruiting transfers at all. But more importantly, I think that part of his big plan is bringing in these guys who were kind of in, uh, further down the depth chart at power uh, program schools, bringing them in, seeing what he can make out of them, because the really the biggest change uh, that he's had from Edsel is that all of these guys uh, that are coming in, um, you know, regardless of whether they're from, you know, Youngstown State or uh, Dartmouth or, you know, Texas Tech, Kentucky, Texas. Um, UConn is not sending its backups to those programs to be backups when they transfer out. Uh, you know, occasionally you'll see like a Lowell Uguak who's already a starter and he'll be a starter at a bigger program. Uh, same thing happened with Tyler Coyle a couple of years ago. Um, but even if we're just filling in depth, getting guys like this is such an upgrade to depth alone. 
And since that was the program's biggest weakness the past few seasons, I really think that that's going to end up making the biggest difference. Yeah, I think I think the fact that he's just a clear upgrade for the QB room, right, is is significant value in and of itself. And then, yeah, the fact that UConn really has not had that caliber of recruit since. Drum roll, please, Tim Boyle, ladies and gentlemen. That that's probably the highest rated quarterback prospect that UConn's had. And then Dan Orlovsky, right? Like, who how else? quickly we forget Michael Niebrich. Was Niebrich as highly rated as Tim Boyle? Uh, he actually was pretty high, weirdly enough. Niebrich uh, was about as effective quick. at UConn as Boyle was. Uh, but yeah, that was, you do have to go back uh, to right. find uh, these guys who were there. Yeah. And so um, I, I think the fact that he, you know, couldn't break through at Penn State means almost nothing to UConn, you know, in terms of UConn's standards under, under center, unfortunately. Um the other thing is, you know, it's it's going to be a competition. I mean, I think Roberson has the inside inside lane for the starting job right now, but I think that's mostly because Pomachan was, has not been a full participant. Um, anything can happen during the season, as we know. Uh, Roberson has not played live, which is, I think, you know, at least an advantage that Pomachan has is that he's taken, you know two, three games worth of snaps, two and change games worth of snaps. Um, and, but, but we'll see. I mean, I, I, but I think it's definitely a great, it's, it's definitely the highlight of the incoming transfer class. I think that's probably fair to say. And then um, that's probably the day one, the day one starter at, at quarterback. Uh, if, if we all had to guess, I think, right. Like, yeah. Yeah. I agree. So I think, I think what you said is definitely good about the competition. Just the fact that uh, regardless of whether it actually pans out, just having a Penn state level caliber player in there to push Pumajon and really force him to improve because there are, uh, there are a couple areas of uh, Pumajon's game where he could definitely stand to improve. And uh, last year, last off season is competition. Uh, Michael Leone, another, another departure, or uh, Jack Zerviotis, and Kudrisky, I think it's definitely fair to say that those guys were not pushing him to the level that uh, Robertson is uh, is going and uh, will push him, uh, especially in the summer into the season. So I've, I really there's there's not there's not really a downside at all on it. Since not not a super hot take there, but there's not really a downside <laughs> to adding someone uh, someone just of that level to the program. And then I, I think his profile, honestly, is really similar to a number of the other transfers. They're just at less critical positions on the field, obviously. I mean, um, QB being so important. But I, I think there's a lot of guys who fit the profile of highly rated recruit or recruit who was in demand enough that UConn was not interesting to him out of high school, um, which can be said for a lot of these people who were Many of them were high three-star or mid, you know, mid three-star recruits. And a lot of them were, were at power five programs. So um, just, just going through, um, you know, to name one really interesting uh, example from within the state, you've got Jack Stewart who played his high school football at New Canaan. He is apparently the first New Canaan high school player since the early seventies to play for UConn. Um, indicative of an improved relationship for the program around those parts. 
uh, perhaps something to do with um, John Marinelli being on the staff and his father being the, the head coach there. But that's, hey, uh, that's, that's good stuff. That's where Stewart played his high school football. He um, went to Michigan. So can't fault him for choosing Michigan over, over UConn and maybe some of the other options he might have had. Um, did not see, uh, you know, a single solitary snap. But hey, he went to he went to Ann Arbor. He developed for two years. He didn't have to go watch, you know, a, a, a three and twenty team over the last two seasons. And and now he's at UConn, um, where, I mean, again, he's he's not proven, but neither is really anyone on on UConn's line. So it's a great opportunity to for someone like him to stand out. And it's someone who I think. Um, if this was a guy coming to UConn out of high school, Husky fans would be really, really excited about as a football player, you know, or even as a football prospect, do you think he's gotten worse or better in the last two years? You know, hopefully under the Michigan strength and conditioning program, he's, he's bulked up, he's gotten more college ready and he might be able to step in, in a rotational role or something, or maybe be a, a rotational or starter player next year. And, if that if that's how it pans out, that's that's really really good for UConn, and I think there's a number of other players who fit that profile. If you look at the incoming guys, I think with uh, Stewart specifically, uh, and I mean no disrespect to the guy, I'm sure he's worked really hard, but unless there was some sort of injury, I don't necessarily see him getting a whole lot of playing time for UConn either. Uh, hopefully, that's you know different. But even at the very least, like if he never sees a snap with us. Uh, that's still an upgrade over the previous regime mm-hmm. because what we would replace our outgoing players with under Edsel was another true freshman or even just a walk-on who would also not be playing for the next two years and then he would transfer out anyway or quit the team entirely. So yes, this is definitely an upgrade over our previous plan regardless. Um, I, I think that there are these guys that uh, UConn is bringing in that are prospects right now. A lot of uh, them um, and... Uh, Goodness, I'm forgetting a couple of names off the top of my head right now. But um, these guys are young. Uh, they've seen experience at big time programs. Maybe they've played, maybe they haven't. They've definitely gotten to work out with them at the, the, at the very least. Uh, and those are the people that are filling in our depth right now. So Stewart is a really good example in that regard. Um, Kyle Jurgens was the other guy I was thinking of mm-hmm. who spent a year redshirting at Boise State on their offensive line. Um, Dane Shore for Alabama is somebody I'm actually pretty excited about. He was a very, very high recruit, uh, and we're basically getting him as a transfer. Who's also a true freshman, which is Mm -hmm. nice. Um, that guy was a pretty high four-star, um, and that's not the type of player that UConn typically recruits. Um, so even if they're young players and they're all just projects and we're trying to see what they can do when they are ready to contribute, who that's so much better. It is just so much better than what we had previously seen for a while. And actually, you know, you bring up an interesting point. Uh, a number of these uh, incoming transfers did kind of have their career trajectory altered by an injury. Um, mm-hmm. And then, you know, we're not able to catch on. And since we don't follow kind of the week to week of Kentucky football or Texas tech football, it's hard to really know like what those guys roles were or, was it that they were not the same after an injury or was it that they just kind of got buried when other guys produced, um, you know, it's possibly a little bit of both. We have no way of knowing, but, but literally 
um, looking at these guys, a number of them injuries were kind of part of the reason that, that their careers are, well, they, they, they found themselves a little buried on the depth chart and decided to transfer a couple of names that, that fit that profile wide receiver, Ethan Williams coming from Boston college. He was a three-star recruit out of Maryland, um, got injured in 2020, then didn't, didn't see the field again. Uh, Nigel Fitzgerald, a six foot five wide receiver from old dominion also had, I believe a season long or, or most of a season kind of injury didn't seem to produce much afterwards, but Hey, a tall receiver need those. Um, Dejon Harrison from Texas, I believe also had an injury that, that sidelined him. Um, and then the linebackers, Marquez Bembry and Brandon Boyer Randall, I believe both of them had had injuries as well in their careers. Uh, yeah. Bembry uh, was injured at ten at originally at Tennessee and right. uh, transferred okay. to Kentucky. Okay. And uh, honestly, I think that it's a good point for me to mention him. He, he's honestly one of the players that I'm potentially just as excited about as Robertson. He's mm-hmm. he just the level of skill there to uh, be a, a rotation player under Mark Stoops. Mark Stoops, a very good evaluator of talent, especially on the defensive side of the ball. He's He's got a great motor. He's just a very good, smart linebacker. And I think that he does add good depth to the position. I think he's he's going to be a sort of a probably an everyday starter at that uh, at that position. He's going to he's got the potential to be a great leader and uh, one of the transfers on the defensive side of the ball that uh, makes it makes a pretty big contribution there. So. And then, what about the O line guys? Like, do you think? Um like we knew the state of the line last year and for many years before that um, always pretty tough to, for UConn to field a decent line. Honestly, it seems like it's really tough for anyone in the group of five to field a decent line these days, but um, just, you know, you look at the list of, of incoming transfers um, there's five, six O linemen, depending on, on your count. And um, uh couple of them are actually a bit more experienced. So um, Trace Barbosa came from, is coming from UTEP. Um, didn't play much, but, but was a backup, but he's older. Uh, there's a Dartmouth offensive lineman that was more experienced. Do you think any of these guys can have a, a, an early impact? Well, I actually think that uh, Jake Guidon, who's the Dartmouth uh, graduate transfer uh, you alluded to, is going to be a starter from day one this year and probably for the entire season. Uh, He was first team all Ivy last year uh, and the previous Ivy League season, which at this point is now three years ago. He was all honorable mention then, too. Um, so this is a guy who, you know, has experience playing division one football. Uh, yes, there is absolutely a difference between FBS and FCS. Don't get me wrong. Um, but that's a guy who can actually step in and contribute right away. Um, now we are going to be reeling from the loss of Ryan Van Demark. Uh, but other than that, I believe we only had one other major contributor leave, which was Robbie Rochester in, uh, transfer portal, but, uh, everybody else stayed and that's different. We finally get to see what these guys who have size and potential can actually do now that they've got a little experience they're a little older um you know the age curve really can't be overstated on the offensive line 
And so if you get a guy like, you know, just to point somebody out, Christian Haynes, who played a lot last year, I believe he started six or seven games. Uh, that's, you know, a junior now instead of a sophomore. So he's finally going to be able to uh, like have the age advantage on a lot of the defensive line opponents that he's going to be uh, blocking. Um, a couple of the transfers too, I think Trez Barbosa could step in at any point. Uh, he'll certainly be a part of the rotation. Um, there's a Juco transfer, uh, Nico Pohohau, who I think actually has an opportunity to um, you know be in the rotation right away. Uh, he definitely will by the end of the season. Um, and I think Valentin Sen, who was a big uh, uh incoming transfer last season from Colorado didn't get to play much last year, but he's got plenty of size. I, I like his profile as an offensive tackle. And I think that he might be able to uh, be kind of one of the diamonds in the rough of a previous year's uh, incoming transfer, which we're not going to be able to talk too much about uh, incoming transfers from the, from the Edsel era, but he's one of those guys that I'm keeping my eye on. Uh, and I think could eventually make a big difference um, whether it's injury or whether it's stepping into the starting lineup right away. Yeah, a guy like Bino is, is a very athletic. He's got good measurables, especially for an Ivy League player. You don't really necessarily think of uh, Ivy League players as being having that huge athleticism and uh, and size to make the step up. But he he actually played a lot as a as a pass blocking tight end as well as a as tackle uh, in the 2019 and uh, 2021 seasons. And he he actually caught a couple of passes, so he he has that athleticism. Uh, it's obviously not a one-to-one -one transfer in terms of skill set, but he's definitely a guy where they were, where they, where they were, they looked at his size, they looked at his strength and speed, and they decided to uh, utilize him in uh, areas other than uh, just strictly pass blocking and as an offensive tackle. So that's, I think that's paradoxically, it's kind of a good sign for him to be able to make that step up. Um, and then just a couple of other guys that might be worth mentioning. I mean, I think Shore has potential to, to be maybe in the rotation early on. He was a older, um, like freshman. Uh, I think he did IMG Academy. So he did like a post-grad year. Um, so he's on the older side. If he was a higher rate recruit, um, you know, he did, he did um, announce publicly that, you know, he was uh, handling mental health issues including depression and anxiety. So um, it might be something where he's not necessarily looking to maybe be even be in a starting role right now. And is just trying to get, get his day-to-day -day more, more in line. And if that's the case, you know, wonderful. Um, but I, but I also think part of the appeal of UConn for someone like him is to just be able to get out there, maybe get some playing time, get some film on. And this might for him might be a stop, um, you know, potentially, and that's okay. If, if, if it all works out for everyone, but um, that, that may be the situation here. I'm, I'm, you know, maybe reading into some lines a little bit. Um, and, uh, but yeah, I mean, I think, I think there's some hope for the offensive line, just bringing more, uh, the theme here, bringing more depth in, um, mm -hmm. having more competition, seeing what comes out, um, fixing some of the, the, roster management issues of the last few years. Um, and, and on that front, you have to give, give more, a lot of credit because he really has, it's, it's a, it's a good number of people with good reasons to be here who, who brings something to UConn, even if they're not the next UConn star or starter, even, mm -hmm. even if they help, um, you know, push people in practice, 
uh, increase the level of maturity around the roster, tell people about what's, what else goes on around the world of college football, uh, maybe some tips and tricks from, from the, uh, the staffs at Kentucky or Michigan, you know, any, any and every little bit helps. Um, so I think, I think you, you do need to give uh, some credit to Mora. He also brought in a long snapper from FIU. So that's a, that's an important pickup. Hey guys, Brian Keating, long time Yukon long snapper, mm-hmm. uh, moved on via graduation. And so that's another uh, important job. You do not want your punts and field goal attempts to get blocked <laughs> in my experience. I'm a bit of an X's and O's guy. And uh, <laughs> I've learned through the years that you do not want those plays to get blocked. Uh, two other guys I, I think I want to mention too, um, you know, minor roles. Um, but I, I think that Will Knight, uh, who's a Juco transfer running back from a uh, school in Delaware, Um, he is going to get like a significant amount of carries this year. I don't know exactly where he's going to fall in the depth chart. Um, You'd certainly have to think that he's going to fall behind Nate Carter somewhere uh, because Carter looked so great as a freshman. Uh, And, you know, Brian Bruton's kind of breathing down his neck, might be used more as a gadget back. Devontae Houston, probably better as a pass catcher out of the backfield. Uh, But Will Knight's going to be in that rotation of four running backs as well. Um, And the early reports out of camp is that he's looked pretty solid so far uh could easily be the number two uh as of right now uh secondly is Bo Estes who is a Juco transfer out of Oklahoma uh he plays tight end and tight end is another of those units right now that is just super super young um you know we only have four scholarship tight ends uh which is not a super unusual number that doesn't mean we're shallow uh but that's not many people either, especially if there's not a clear hierarchy right now. Uh, I think Brandon Nemensky played well enough last season to uh, hold on to the starting role uh, from week one. But at the same time, Bo Estes looks like he's you know pretty athletic, uh, can kind of get down the field a little bit. Uh, he's not as big as your traditional tight end, but he moves really well. And they might want to use him uh, in some packages to give the team a different look. Um, so those are two guys I wanted to highlight on the offensive end who might make a real difference this year. Um, I think wide receivers the uh, with the depth of that unit right now, uh, a lot of these guys as individuals who we've already mentioned uh, might not stand out as much because weirdly we have about like six or seven wide receivers who I think are pretty solid. Um, uh, but like those two among the running backs and tight ends, I think are worth mentioning, pointing out and uh, keeping an eye on uh, throughout training camp. And as we get into the actual season. And then I would just add um, uh, Old Dominion defensive lineman Sequoia McDuffie. Did oh, we yeah. mention him already? Um, you know, again, we, we talked about the DBs and the front seven really all, all looking to replace people. Um, that's probably a guy who you can, you can imagine is going to be slotted into a pretty key role there, if not a full-time starter, certainly a part-time starter on the D-line. Um, and then uh, looking at the defensive backs, um, I, there was a th- another former three-star recruit, another guy who, you know, did not, did not uh, post any stats, but he did go to Missouri. Uh, Chris Sheelan, a Virginia native, who um, can help out again. But, but I'd be hoping, I would have hoped for maybe one or two more DB uh, DB transfers. I think there was a, another junior college one. Yeah, Thaddeus Dixon. 
Yes. Uh, who is a California Juco transfer. Um, I didn't get a chance to watch much of him on tape. Um, but nonetheless, that's another guy who at least has a little bit of coll- uh, collegiate football experience who they can add to the roster and uh, see if he can compete with a couple of these guys uh, to potentially be a starter. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I think it looks like if we were to if we were to sum up our our thoughts on the transfer class um, and and, you know, noting that we don't expect any true freshman to be a huge impact player uh, this season. Um, Happy to be wrong if that happens, but um, it's it's probably not something that we're expecting. You know, it looks like good good infusion of depth and talent for the offensive line same for linebacker we can say and wide receiver mm-hmm. um addressing the quarterback position bringing in somebody who's a real candidate to be not just the starter this year but the starter of the future um and we remain somewhat concerned about the state of the defense <laughs> But such is life at the University of Connecticut, tackle football, nothing, uh, some, something has to give us worries. And honestly, you know, uh, again, I, I think overall, um, it's, it's a pretty good class. You have to feel like it's a, a pretty decent recruiting job by the coaching staff, given the timing and everything. Yeah, I mean, I really couldn't have said it better myself. I think that this is just overall uh, a really big step forward for the program. And I think when at this point we are desperate for just big steps forward, uh, getting one of those this quickly, kind of unexpectedly in the span of an off season, uh, that's a big win. Uh, hopefully they can continue to build on this and, you know, make something of this class when they're a year older, when the guys who have talent, uh, the young players who have talent on the roster right now are a year older in 2023 and they can still fill in even more transfers to build out a full roster at that point. I think this is a big win. Yeah, I think, and I definitely think it's worth noting again, bring it full circle, kind of where we came from on all this. Mm-hmm. You say having a full roster, UConn hasn't really had a full roster. They've had a full roster name only, yes, basically for the last probably over five years, over five seasons. <laughs> so, just getting this level of uh, roster building and the depth and everything that this transfer class is bringing don't really want to hype it up too much, but just getting that basic thing is huge. And I guess that's kind of the theme of UConn football that this off season is just getting basic things again, because we haven't had basic things in <laughs> a long time. Absolutely. And- Look, yeah. We're gone. Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, if you think about the fact that we are, um, cautiously optimistic for improvement in 2022, which I think we're working on around a lot of different reasons why that can be the case. Improvement on one and 11, uh, right, which we, we can also acknowledge. But, um, you know, with another class like this, let's say another transfer class, not the same exact positions, but, you know, fills holes and brings in depth and blah, 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 addresses some key needs. This could be a you could see the path to being a 500-ish, uh, a 500-ish team in 2023, which is which is something. Which is again basic things, but better than what was before. Well, let's not go too crazy. <laughs> <laughs>
All right, Tucker, uh, I believe you have a game for us to play. Yeah. So I had been thinking, given what we talked about last week and all the realignment rumors that have been swirling throughout college football, what would be the ideal scenario for UConn? Given that we are a basketball school, the ideal scenario would be to remain in the very best basketball conference of all. Don't at me, but I'm right. It's the Big East. Um, And somehow convincing our overlords at the Big East to build the football conference around UConn. So we are going to have uh, an eight-team Big East conference for football. Uh, UConn is, of course, the charter member, and you two will be picking out from a blind resume uh, the seven teams that will be joining UConn in the new Big East. Uh, So I'm going to start with Amon. Um, Amon, I'm going to give you the blind resume of two teams here. Uh, and we're going to choose from a few categories to fill out a conference in the way that every conference should. So, uh, Aman, you're going to choose from a traditional UConn rival, um, and your choices are Team 1 was 31 and 21 in the last five seasons, all with the same coach. They were 10 and 3 last year, and they finished two of the last five seasons ranked in the top 25. Team 2 was 24 and 35 in the last five seasons, all with the same coach. They went five and seven last year, and they had one top 25 finish under this coach. Uh, So would you like to add to the new Big East, team one or team two? And I can repeat any of this if you want. Did you say that team one was a rival? Yeah, these are both traditional UConn rivals. Both are traditional UConn rivals. Um. And uh, okay, okay. Oh, oh, good. I'm seeing this the stats on the screen here. Perfect. Um, I'm going to go with Team One here. Uh, you know, the better record, better recent success. Um, sounded like some rankings. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's let's bring that team to the Big East. All right. Well, you will not need to bring this team to the Big East because you have added Villanova football. <laughs> number two. Yep. Uh, you have chosen them over the Syracuse Orange. Yeah. Uh, who is once again on the outside looking in. Villanova is my invitation. That's not even a gotcha. I'm actually, I'd, I'd, I'm actually in favor of that one. Yes. Yes. <laughs> All right. Uh, Luke, this is now your choice. Uh, you're going to have a choice between a local team to add some local Big East flavor to the conference and keep this at least relatively geographical. So your choices are team one was 28 and 12 over the last five years. They were five and five last season uh, without a postseason bid. Uh, They had a winning record versus UConn overall. Now team two was 29 and seven over the last five years. Uh, they were eight and one last season, still no postseason bid, and they also have a winning lifetime record against UConn. Uh, so would you like team one or team two? I'm following what Amon said. I'm taking the record. This is gonna be a this is gonna be a great team. I'm feeling it. So team two with the better record? Team two. All right. Well, you have spurned the Yale Bulldogs, and instead you have added the Trinity Bantams to the Big East. Nescak will be so disappointed. Another improvement. What can I say? Hey, I hate Trinity College and hate drives rivalries. So <laughs> that's that's great. I guess I, I don't hate, wanna... I don't hate Yale, but I hate Yale. I don't need that on the record. Darn it. Uh, <laughs> uh, All right, I'm on back. We to don't you. we uh, don't like Yale for non football reasons here. Yes. <laughs> 
Yeah, well, they definitely didn't beat us in basketball once. Uh, Amon, let's move on. Uh, you are also going to choose uh, a Northeast team here. So this is a regional team, again, going geographical. Uh, team one was 20 and 26 over their last five seasons. They were seven and four last year. And this is a former Yankee conference opponent. Now, team two went 10 and 42 over their last five seasons, one and 11 last year. And they are also a former Yankee conference opponent. But their current head coach did go 43 and 19 at this school in his first stint there. So would you like team one or team two? Well, I, I don't want UMass, so I'm going to go with team one. <laughs> yeah, what gave it away? Was it the reference to Don Brown there? Uh, so, yes, you have spurned the Minutemen of UMass, and you have instead added to the Big East, uh, former Dan Hurley School of Rhode Island. Yeah, look at us. I like this, this conference. Good conference. I like this conference. It's a good fit. All right, uh, Luke, this one goes to you. And because this is a UConn-based Big East and they need a little bit of history, you know, so, some rivalry as a former conference opponent, this is a team that's currently in the American. So you have to choose between team one, uh, 27 and 35 in their last five seasons. They were two and 10 last year. And they're a private school located in a major U.S. city. Team two was 12 and 42 in their last five seasons. They went four and eight last year. They are also a private school in a major U.S. city. And they have the 18th largest endowment among all United States colleges. So team one or team two? You know, I'm going to go team two, team two because I'm pretty sure I know who team one is and I want a surprise. All right. Would you like to guess who team one is? It's team one temple. Uh, you got the first letter, right? This is actually Tulane uh, because Philadelphia is not a major U S city. Uh, oh. On the other hand, new Orleans is, and also team two is in Houston, Texas. And that is rice university. You have added the owls to the big East. Mm. Uh, that's the first L. <laughs> the first L on our part. All right, so I'm on back to you. Um, as we are trying to remain geographical, we of course know that in the Big East, you do need a little bit of a Southern spread. It can't all just be New England schools. So you're choosing a team from the Mid-Atlantic here. Uh, now you have to choose between team one, which is 56 and 10 in their last five seasons. They went 12 and two last year. They have an all-time four and one record against UConn and had a QB drafted into the NFL in the 2020s. Uh, now, team two uh, was 15 and 43 in their last five seasons. Uh, they were five and eight last year because they got a postseason bid with a five and seven record. Uh, they also have a winning record against UConn of all time. Uh, their last drafted quarterback was in 2014, but they do have a former NFL head coach on staff. Uh, so would you like of these schools, team one or team two? I'm going to take team two, and then I'm going to guess who both are. Number one, I think is, you can. number one is JMU. Number one is James Madison. You have spurned mm -hmm. them. And number two is UVA. Oh, I'm on. While I would love it if it was UVA and we get this great, I was aiming too powerful hard. school of, you know, wonderful academics uh, and some interesting sports teams and would make a great basketball rival. You have brought back Rutgers. No! <laughs> <laughs> Ah! Wow, I really did that to myself. Yeah, you, you know, did that to all of us. Unfortunately. Calling Rutgers Mid-Atlantic was very creative. 
um, for, for New York City's Big Ten program. Um, oh, but, we all know New York City's college team is Syracuse and always has been. But hey, you know, in, in this Big East conference, is that is that the end of it? Was that the eighth one or there's the one more? Oh, no, there are two more to go. I'll just say two again, more. Rutgers is a Rutgers is a good ad, you know, for this conference in the in the current <laughs> state. You know, and again, as you can see, I don't have positive feelings about Rutgers. And that's what conference rivalries are all about. So Rutgers losing to Trinity week one. All right, Luke, over to you. Uh, now, for this one, there's a couple conferences right now that are kind of, as we say, in flux. You know, none of these schools really know what their next step is. So the Big East is just primed to poach one of these football schools. You're going to choose a school from the Conference USA. Now, Team One was 24 and 32 in their last five seasons. Uh, they, are, they are an East Coast team that plays UConn this year. And they have a former Power Five head coach running the team. Now, Team Two was 38 and 22 in their last five seasons. They're also on the East Coast. Uh, they were ranked within the past five seasons under their current head coach, and they are 0 and 1 against UConn in program history. So they played one game to UConn and lost. Hmm. So who do you prefer, Team One or Team Two? I'm taking Team Two. Yeah, and as you might. I'm have going guessed, to say. I'm going to say it's because UConn has beaten them, but uh, it's it's because it's Liberty. And, and wouldn't that just be fun to see Hugh Freeze up in the press box of Rentschler Field? You have added Liberty to the Big East. Waving hello to us from the yeah. <laughs> As Jim Mora points back at him to honor his existence. Uh, you have added Liberty to the Big East. Uh, Florida International will not be joining the Big East Conference. They will be staying in CUSA for the foreseeable future. Uh, but we are getting the Flames, warts and all, as the conference opponent. That was a tough choice, Luke. You had a tough choice there. <laughs> now, read, back- out, read out the conference right now as we have it. Oh, I will read off this whole thing at the end, but it's more important that you choose this final one first, Amon. As is tradition in the Big East, we've had teams such as West Virginia leave and just have Pittsburgh on by themselves for a bit. Uh, We've had just other things happen just to split up teams that should be playing each other every year. So you're going to have to choose half of a major rivalry. Nice. So team one was 46 and 19 in their last five seasons. They had a one loss season last year. Uh, They have a new head coach this season and in their program's history have played one total game against UConn. Now team two was 54 and 10 in their last five seasons. They had a two loss season last year. Uh, They also have a new head coach this season and they also have one total game in program history against UConn. Wow. Huh. One of these sounds like Coastal Carolina, and I really want that to be it. So, team two. Well, I will give you the uh, opening of the door behind team one, who is a member of the longest standing rivalry in college football history. You have chosen not to add Lafayette Uh to the Big East Conference. Mm -hmm. Uh, You have, though, after long last brought them home. Notre Dame is a member of the Big East. Congratulations, Amon. You have done the impossible. The Irish are coming back to the Big East. Uh, So that gives us a conference of the University of Connecticut Huskies, Villanova, Trinity, Rhode Island, 
Rice, Rutgers, Liberty, and Notre Dame. I personally cannot wait for the annual Notre Dame Liberty game. Uh, I think that's going to be an absolute barn burner. Uh, we can finally, you know, figure out which one of them was right. Uh, and, you know. uh, but nonetheless, that is the Big East Conference that we have built. Um, I think it works out pretty well in UConn's favor. And, you know, even the state team gets to uh, improve their profile a little bit as Trinity makes the jump all the way from the NESCAC to D1. I like this conference a ton. Um, you've got great regional rivalries, good road trips, some historic college football powers like Rutgers. Um, and, and so there's, there's a lot to like if you're talking about a slate where you play these teams every year. Mm -hmm. Luke, what do you think of the conference that you have built with your own hands? I think Liberty Notre Dame, that game will add a different meaning to hate week. <laughs> So yeah, plenty of options here. Uh, everybody with a little bit of history here against uh, <laughs> here against UConn. Uh, I think it makes for a perfect biggest conference for football. Uh, I need to send this right away to Val Ackerman. I know that Val can make this happen. My uh, is available. Yeah. <laughs> and all of these schools, they could move at any point. So well done, gentlemen. Well done. Bring back tag. football. Need to tag Dave Bendick so we can uh, make epic memes on Twitter to make this happen <laughs> all right that's gonna do it for us this week thank you guys for indulging and listening